Hello, everyone, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the eu for You podcast. In today's show, I speak with Nicole Romain, the head of unit communications at the European Union's Fundamental Rights Agency, located in Vienna. We cover a lot of different topics related to fundamental rights, asylum, racism, migration, but we also speak about relevant current topics, such as the inflation crisis we are witnessing in Europe. We also managed to answer nearly all of the community questions that you sent in. If you want to support the show, you can do so via PayPal or Patreon. And if you're interested to learn more about the topics that we discussed, you can have a look into the description box. All support links, as well as the information mentioned, is going to be found there. Thank you so much for choosing to listen in and make sure to share the podcast if you like it. Enjoy the show. So, hello everyone. Uh, I am reporting live from the Fundamental Rights Agency in Vienna. And next to me is Ms. Nicole Romain, who is the head of unit for communications at events. She's been with the Fundamental Rights Agency since 2011. Before that, she was an author, a lecturer, an editor. So a bunch of very interesting things. And um, she's also worked as a consultant for Eurofund, which is an agency involved in improving the well-being and health across Europe. And she's very kindly taken time out of her schedule to answer some of the questions that you've uh, submitted via eu for you And I'm very happy to be sitting here with you. Hello, and thank you so much for taking the time. Hello, and mm -hmm. thank you for coming, for having an interview. Yeah. It's really interesting also to, to speak to people and see questions coming from um, your channel of social media and the interest people bring to um, an EU agency, to the Fundamental Rights Agency. So with that in mind, because you just said Fundamental Rights Agency, what is the Fundamental Rights Agency actually? There are some people who are familiar with it, some are not. So if you could give us a brief uh, overview so that our audience is What is the informed. Fundamental Rights Agency? We are one of the um, independent EU agencies. I mean, there are EU agencies in all of the EU member states, and we look at protecting um, fundamental rights across the EU. That is, in a way, our mission statement. Um, we are self-defined, the, we could say, the biggest data collector on human rights in the EU, but also globally speaking. That is, I think, the easiest way to say what is the Fundamental Rights Agency. We do surveys, we have qualitative and quantitative information, data, about where we stand with human rights in the EU. And these reports, this data, this is shared with the general public and with the EU institutions, right? Um, of course, we share our findings um, through our website. We have um, data visual visualization tools on our website where everybody can access um, the data, the findings of our surveys. I mean, just to name a few, the very recent one on Roma, on the experiences of living and working in the EU of Roma people, um, that is online and is available online. One of our most um, successful surveys was the survey on gender-based violence, violence against women. The entire data set is currently available to the public, either through our website, but also in certain member states um, in the, through national statistical offices. 
And these reports, as well as others that we're going to mention throughout the interview, will of course be linked in the bio. So if you have any further questions, you can look that up um, during the interview or afterwards. And uh, with that out of the way, I think we can jump right into the questions that we received from the community. And the first one is uh, related to something that all of us are experiencing uh, across the European Union right now. We have higher energy prices, we have inflation that we can observe when we do our groceries in the supermarket and in many, many other areas. Um, this is impacting EU citizens quite strongly, especially young people like the ones who are following eu for you uh, With this in mind, is the Fundamental Rights Agency working on the issue of these massive cost increases right now? We see, of course, uh, increasing differences between rich people and poor people. And we also know from other surveys like um, the EU Silk, which looks as, at the living conditions, that the as, as you say, that the gap between poor people and rich people becomes bigger and that also affects those who have previously lived very comfortable. What does the Fundamental Rights Agency do? We are not an executing agency in the sense that we are going to make the policies. No, the Fundamental Rights Agency does, as I previously said, is a data collector, which doesn't sound so nicely, but again, we look at the evidence which then policymakers can use. So what do we do with the rise of um, living costs currently? We've been looking at people living in at the risk of poverty already for a long time. For example, we looked at um, the increasing poverty rates of children across EU member states. And through our findings, I don't want to say that the result was directly the European Child Guarantee Fund, but through our findings, which showed that poverty increases among children, and I, here I'm talking about children of everybody um, across the EU, even in member states where you would never have thought that, for example, Germany. The states, the policymakers, were, became aware that there's a real need to look at the well-being of children and to protect the well-being. Just to mention here, most of the EU member states have ratified the European Convention on, um, on, children, on the Protection of Children. From that perspective, yes, we do things. Mm -hmm. And more recently, we also had a survey among the general population asking, what do fundamental rights mean to you? Because of course, what are fundamental rights? What are human rights? Briefly said, in Europe, within the EU, we refer to fundamental rights because we have the EU Charter on Fundamental Rights, because there was already a universal declaration for human rights. But basically speaking, we are working to protect and fulfill human rights. So one of our surveys among the general population has actually shown very clearly that depending on your um, economic status, literally those who have problems to make ends meet in a month, as well as not having achieved a very high level of education, consider that human rights are not for them, but for the others. So we are aware that there is a gap in the perception of human rights. For whom are they and who do they protect? But of course, FRA is very clear in that human rights, fundamental rights are for everybody who is in the European Union, who is in Europe. I'm insisting on the European Union because our agency's mandate, of course, looks at the EU. 
whereas we are fully aware that going beyond the borders of the EU, um, there are equally fundamental rights issues, challenges, um, currently at risk or fundamental rights, human rights are, are at risk, but our mandate limits us to the, to the EU. Yeah, um, as you were just mentioning, there are issues of course that are extending beyond our borders, but those are also issues that to some degree could potentially be observed here. And what I'm referring to is the um, horrible situation that we are witnessing in Ukraine and the plight of many of the people who came to the EU from Ukraine. Um, is there already any data available on potential discrimination of uh, refugees that came from uh, Ukraine to the EU? This is something that was asked from a, a person with a background in uh, Croatia. So there is a memory of the Yugoslav conflicts in the 90s. Mm. And he was wondering about that since there are anti-Slavic sentiments that have been measured before. Is this something that can be observed in the current situation? Um. I mean, that's a complex question. You're there are many, no, not complex, but there are many layers in your question. Just as a very basic um, statement up front, we know that we need to look at the lessons learned from the conflict in ex-Yugoslavia to avoid that we repeat the same mistakes from a human rights perspective. Of course, um, I also want to say that FRA, the EU Agency for Fundamental Rights, was one of the first agencies being at the border points with Ukraine, between EU member states and Ukraine. So that included border points in Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, uh, no, Czech Republic, Romania, um, and we also looked at uh, those border points between Mold Moldavia and, and EU member states. That was what we did literally 10 days after the war broke out. We had field visits to look how people fleeing the war were received. And we have issued a bulletin um, on that where we describe of what, have, what happened. Looking at discrimination, very early on, FRA was aware that there were reports in the media about discrimination. Some of that, it's media reporting. So, it's very difficult for us as an agency then to put that forward like a sound evidence. So yes, we do look at it. It's not something we have forgotten because we, have run, we did run a survey among you, people who have fled from Ukraine um, in nine EU member states to a survey which took about 30 minutes to fill in about their experience, experiences how were they received when they arrived? How are their living conditions? Are they able to go to school? Are the children able to go to school? Are they able to work? And also whether they experienced discrimination, violence, um, harassment, also looking at, um, at women, because we know that the population who fled the Ukraine was mainly women, elderly people, women and children. With that, the results of this survey will come out um, well in a few months. In, in in a few months, at the beginning of next year, we will issue those findings. So we will have um, sound evidence about the reports which we know from the media, which were which were issued right away um, shortly after Russia's aggression of um, of Ukraine. Again, 
what happens, what may have happened in Belarus or what may have happened in Ukraine or in countries beyond the EU, we cannot go there because that is that there we are clearly bound by our mandate. But we also respect and we try to follow up on such reports or allegations of discrimination, harassment and violence. Just to reinforce that message, we will also have, I mentioned it already earlier, we did a, a survey in 2014, which is still the only survey with comparable data of violence against women around the globe, around the world. We did that survey in 2014, so now we will do a survey among women who have fled Ukraine, whether they experienced harassment and violence, and those results will actually come out um, in the second half of next year. But again, we will have the data. We can actually then show, did they experience that, and did when they experienced violence, which type of violence was there, and also looking at it, we can then issue, based on our findings, of course, um, pointers to policymakers where the gap was and um, people who fled Ukraine actually encountered those risks. Yeah, that's a really insightful answer. Thank you. And some of our followers will have seen uh, these reports, especially the report on violence against women, because we've used it extensively also and covered uh, parts of it on our platform. So it should be familiar or hopefully is familiar with uh, some of the audience. It's a very important um, piece of work. Um, I mean, just to add here, if you if you want, just to add the data of this survey, the findings of that survey are still used by the European Commission on any social media post where you have data on violence against women. That's our data. That's the FRA data from 2014, because still as of today, it's the only survey which delivers comparable data around the world. I mean, the UN invited us for the methodology we have used. Um, and since you say it's so important, I would like to mention that there will be a second wave coming to have a second wave with data to see whether there have been improvements since 2014 or whether there have been even, um, there has been regression of violence against mm -hmm. women. Because I mean, we all know, and I think most of the viewers will also know that in certain EU member states, we have the rate of femicides increasing or we perceive it as increasing because there's more communication about it. Sometimes we need to be very careful about these issues because the more it's communicated, the more there is an impression that the figures go up. But actually we need to check whether the figures are really going up or is it only because it's something where, where we have greater media attention to report on. I don't want to minimize that we need to report on it. It's very important, but still you need to have the data to say, yes, it has increased or no, it hasn't. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the uh, recent survey that you did was taking place across nine um, member states. And with that in mind, because the EU, of course, consists now of uh, 27 uh, member states, are there any geographical trends that are becoming visible in your work related to fundamental rights, meaning are there specific parts of the EU where there is an increase in fundamental rights protection? And are there areas where there is a reduction in the fundamental rights, basically? Um, one step up, you're referring to the Ukraine, to the survey of 
people who have fled the war yes, in Ukraine. Yes, but this is not about Ukraine, just yeah, a general I know in general. geographical trend. But on that basis, I want to explain why the geographical spread only of nine countries. Um, we chose, we selected the nine countries who had received most of the people fleeing Ukraine, and then also um, looking at um, the implementation of the Temporary Protection Directive. So looking at the geographical spread of our studies, of our surveys, there's also um, always taken into account where it is relevant to actually carry out a study and to retrieve the information. Um, we, as FRA, have no monitoring task. We look at fundamental rights protection in the EU, but we are not the agency who will then say, who will monitor on how certain treaties to protect fundamental rights or human rights are actually implemented in the countries. We can pinpoint where we see um, in where we see fundamental rights at risk, and we do know there is a certain backsliding of human rights across Europe, not just the EU, across Europe. And as a general statement, um, what you frequently hear is, yes, we have the impression that there is a bigger, there is a greater backsliding of human, fundamental rights in some of the Eastern countries who are the newer countries in the EU, but that is not true. If we look at our survey findings, we do see that um, across the entire EU member states, um, there are certain aspects or certain fundamental rights which see a backsliding, but it's not a homogeneous um, picture where you could actually say these countries are really bad, these countries are really good, because that's not the case. It depends really on which aspect we look at. As you mentioned, we see a backslide across Europe, across many or all member states on, in, some, uh, in some areas at least. And on our platform, one thing that we always do is we always encourage people to get active, to get involved in politics, to get involved in civil society, to try to make the European Union a better place. Because while, of course, a lot of it comes down to policies, each and every one of us has the power individually in their environment to make a change, to, to help people to uh, stand up against fundamental rights breaches. And with this in mind, is there something that you could recommend to people what exactly they can do? Because you just mentioned the, the backsliding. So what is something that we as individuals can contribute? I mean, my first answer would be um, the EU Agency for Fundamental Rights has been organizing fundamental rights dialogues with young people. Um, on sp literally, they were not on specific topics. They were um, we invited young people to join us in a live dialogue with our director to bring forward human rights concerns. Um, which, and we, the first one we did in, now I need to think because the first one we did in November 2020, it was an open, I mean, it was during the coronavirus pandemic. I need to say that as well because, of course, when the pandemic broke out, many of these meetings we had, including also young people, didn't happen anymore. So one, that's why we went virtual and we organized those virtual dialogues with our director. And we had a lot of young people coming. I mean, as an individual, I would recommend if you want to get active, um, you can either do so through political parties in the country, you can do so by joining certain civil society uh, movements. 
um, for example, FRA has, um, we have the so-called fundamental rights platform, which is a database of civil society organizations working in the EU, in the EU member states on specific human rights issues. So as a young person, if you want to do something and you want to become active or become a human rights activist, I would say you look in your own country, um, you look for a civil society organization who supports what you would like to invest in to protect human rights. Because of course you have some who are which are specialized in, in migration. Coming back again to the Ukraine situation, what we realized is that in Poland, it was mainly civil society who received people fleeing the war that bore also a risk, a risk of trafficking, because not everybody was followed up. There was no register of those people who held up their hands at the border saying, we can take three people. But that was a risk, which we pointed out as well at the very early. But to become active, that is the way to go. And um, the other part we do as FRA is we, when we become aware of young activists, we do invite them to our meetings. We do, we have um, a great power to convene different age groups, different types of human rights activists. And what one of our strong points is really, we want to bring together those who talk about human rights but not only those who are in the human rights bu bubble, because you have businesses who talk about human rights. You have um, artists who talk about human rights. You have sportive, sports people. I mean, I would say the world champion, current world champion, yeah. football world championship might be one of the best examples, yeah. but I'm not going into that here. Um, we did. <laughs> That's fine. We, you okay. can leave this job. But what us. I want to say is we bring those people together to actually confront their ideas and we include young people. What I can recommend, if you're curious, log on to our um, webpage and go to the Fundamental Rights Forum, which took place last year in October, which was a hybrid event. And many young people were there bringing forward their concerns. We had young people, young activists there talking about racism, about the Black Lives Matter movement. We had others there who were talking about poverty as well. So that is one way where you can see how to become active. Generally, it's a bottom-up approach. It's you, you, you are part of an NGO in your country which looks at human rights topics and that's how you can engage. I think it's really important that you're saying that and also that people should just reach out because I wouldn't be sitting here next to you if I didn't do exactly that. Just reach out, send an email, the same that mm -hmm. I have done and I keep repeating this to the audience. When I reach out to members of the European Parliament, sometimes they're surprised that certain people are actually responding, but the EU is, um, is something that you can reach out to, that you can connect with. Of course, it will not work always because sometimes the schedule does not allow it as well but in general you can always try and there is a very high chance that you get an answer actually um moving on to just to say yeah. i mean i would actually say you should always get an answer there is an obligation as you a should, public sector organization i agree it doesn't happen but here i can actually say um we have a contact form which is available on our website 
and we really fulfill our task here and respond to every single query um, within the 10, we have to do that within 10 working days. Indeed, it has happened that we had a delay, but generally we have an obligation to answer every request we receive. Don't, don't get them too excited, so <laughs> <laughs> you don't get too many messages, but uh, you heard it. If you, if you have some questions, if you're interested in uh, the work of the Farah, do feel free to reach out and there's a 10 days window in which you can get an answer, hopefully. Um, if you send it over Christmas, all the agencies are closed, I'm yeah. just saying. But of course, um, yes, we have an obligation. Yeah. But if we now receive 1,000 queries, of we will have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on to, to the next question, and this is something that we've gotten in a varied form from a lot of uh, members of the community. There were many questions on a lot of extremely important issues such as Islamophobia, such, such as anti-Semitism, transphobia, Roma discrimination and others. Of course, these are very broad topics and we don't have the time to do all of them the justice that they deserve. However, if possible, could you maybe give us one or two small pieces of information where we stand about the, the four that I mentioned and maybe where people can find out more about that? Um. I mean, I'm not going to fill you, fill, fill you in on all the data. The data is available on our website. But what we do know is that during the coronavirus pandemic, for example, anti-Semitism rose. Um, Jews were accused of being responsible to spread the virus. That we reported and we showed the evidence. We have, the EU has um, an anti-Semitism coordinator. Um, and there was in 2010, uh, not 2010, I'm sorry, under the Aus Austrian presidency, which is now three years, I think, three years ago, um, the EU defined an action plan to fight anti-Semitism. In that action plan, FRA is mentioned. So just to show that such action plans, which are issued by the EU, very often they are based on FRA data. We have, been we have an annual update on anti-Semitism, what is happening in reporting anti-Semitic incidents um, in the EU member states. We do know, and we've pointing it out for several years now, that there is a clear need to improve the possibility of reporting such incidents. I mean, one answer was, and here I'm now changing um, to to Muslim, anti-Muslim hatred. One answer we had was, we don't go to the police because anyways, they don't understand us. Mm -hmm. So we know that the reporting, which would literally then lead to prosecution of the perpetrators if it falls under criminal law. I mean, I have to say that. Not every act is a criminal act, but we do know that violence is a criminal act. Um, so we know that we need to improve the reporting, we need to improve the reporting facilities. That's not FRA's responsibility to do that. That's actually a state responsibility. Um, in some member states, it's the equality bodies who are collecting that data to whom you can report in addition to the police. So that we know from our various surveys. It comes out in our LGBTIQ survey. I don't have, I mean, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersexual and queer people. Um, it comes out in our 
Violence Against Women survey. It comes out in our survey on um, must, uh, when we extracted data of Muslim people living in the EU, black people living in the EU, comes out of our Jew, um, anti-Semitism survey of the Jewish population community in, in, in the EU. So from that perspective, um, that's where FRA does something. And if you look today at, the, at various strategies or action plans from the EU, I mean, I know sometimes people put a question mark that they, behind it and say, does it really serve the purpose? But it does, there is progress. And that we can again see in our survey results, that we have progress. Um, for example, in our last LGBTI survey, it came out that more people in certain member states are more open about being LGBTI because they face less discrimination, but also sometimes it's a combination of because the topic is more openly handled in the society. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this is the EU average. I'm just saying in yeah. certain countries this has happened. And that is when we know that our service, which deliver the findings, are helpful and actually generate political action at the EU level. And then that translates into member state initiatives yeah. as well. Um, the, the, the next question is uh, related to, to the group that uh, we uh, didn't speak about uh, in the last question, at length at least, um, namely the Roma population in the EU, which are among the, if not the most discriminated uh, group in the European Union. Um, this is something that we talked about at length as well. And one of the reasons, of course, is a lack of uh, historical understanding, because during World War II, there was also a genocide against the Roma population, the Poraimos, as it is uh, called in the language. Is this something that you're working on, raising awareness about historical events that have happened and how they're impacting populations today? And if you could, just as a brief follow-up question to the previous one, could you share some of the um, data or some insights into where discrimination against Roma people stands today? Roma are the most discriminated against ethnic minority in the EU. And I think we can say in Europe, but of course in the EU, we know that. And as at FRA, I mean, we, FRA has um, carried out surveys uh, of experiences of living working conditions as well as um, harassment discrimination against Roma people since 2010. I mean we have various waves of um, surveys. We also did a survey on um, Roma and travelers because as we know Roma we speak about Roma but of course we know that there are many different ethnic minorities who are under that umbrella expression where, where we, which we use in the same way as the Council of Europe does. So I do not want to say they are one. And you, you said it slightly. I mean, it's one of the richest um, ethnic minorities in terms of cultural yes. her heritage. Um, what we do, uh, we know that progress is almost none. It's very shocking to say, but we do realize that there's very little progress um, when it comes to Roma inclusion. Yet, there are also some small pockets of good um, practices. 
for example, a few years back, we did a field project on um, the local engagement of Roma inclusion, where we really looked on how different localities in, in EU member states, I mean, in Spain, um, in the Czech Republic, across Europe, uh, in what they did to integrate or include Roma um, in the normal day-to-day -day life of their local authorities. And there we did have some positive examples. But of course, uh, we also know that there's still a segregation in schools in certain EU member states of Roma children. Um, and we also know that education is somewhere at the basis to be included in society because it gives the way to employment. I mean, you have every child has the right to education. And so if there is segregation in education, we know that this right, this fundamental right of the child has been breached. Um, again, we can point that out and we do so but the implementation is, of course, at national level. It's the state obligation to then implement that. Coming now to the historical aspect you, you mentioned in your question. Um, we do highlight it. I mean, we do every year on, in August because that's the international day to commemorate the um, genocide against Roma during the Holocaust. We also did at FRA um, years back, it's 10 years now, but we issued um, actually guidance and also findings on Holocaust education, which now has in a certain way and also in several member states, I know a revival. Um, and we did real there we worked together with, um, with some of the uh, concentration camps and how they were educating the Holocaust. And as part of that, of course, we also looked um, at Roma and what happened to them. But it's, it's really a niche aspect of what Fry is doing because we look more at the global picture. And from a policy perspective, we know, for example, that um, our research has gone into the council recommendations as well from 2013 and into the most recent um, strategy for Roma inclusion from the European Commission as well, where FRA is also tasked with very specific aspects. Yeah. And the most recent survey, which we just issued in October, I mean, I think it's three weeks ago, um, it was very clear that greater effort is required. But what we have now um, is we have indicators to look at which are the indicators to measure improvement. And that is based on the repetitive waves of our surveys that these indicators have now been determined. And the call is now really on the member states. They need to collect the data to look at whether they have improved in Roma inclusion against the set indicators. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've been speaking about it at length now that what Fry is doing is producing reports, is using very um, specific scientifically tested methodologies, of course, to generate information so that both the public and the European institutions are informed. And in regard to this, these reports and data which are seen by the European institutions, they can be used as a basis. They, they don't have to be. It's an informational piece. 
However, is it something that happens often that you find FRA findings in concrete policies? I think looking at the human rights framework and fundamental rights framework within which we live and work in the EU, in Europe, globally, it's a strong framework. The, it's the enforcement where we see that there are lacks, gaps, threats. I mean, that's, it's, the framework is there. So that, you're right, it's not change it, but actually make sure that it is enforced so that everybody, everyone can live in, in dignity and um, has their human rights protected. Reports, I mean, I kind of mentioned it already in my answer to the previous question. Um, we have currently, I think under the current European Commission, they have issued an action plan to fight, un to fight racism. If you look at that action plan, there are clear references to the EU Agency for Fundamental Rights. Where does it come from? The, the action plan has been developed on the findings um, of the agency over the past years, in combination, of course, with others. I'm not saying we are the unique source of it, but we know that our findings, our evidence, our data has gone into the work of the European Commission to issue an action plan to fight racism. Um, one of the main uh, reports here which served for that was Being Black in the EU, which we issued in 2018. Um, there will be a, we, we're currently doing a repeat wave of that survey, so next year again we will issue another report on being black in the EU because we know that black people, sub-Saharan um, people coming from sub-Saharan African countries, do face racism in the EU. Um, and it's not only black people, I mean Roma face racism as well. It's, it's an issue. And here I can only say that we plan a campaign on intolerance and racism next year using our um, using our findings and showing faces I mean there are people like you and me um, who face racism in in our societies um, and I would say that we may be rather of the more privileged ones but everybody can be facing racism coming to the Roma strategy our findings have gone also into the Roma strategy from the European Commission. The strategies and action plans issued by the European Commission, also the LGBTI um, equality for LGBTI people, which is currently a strategy of the European Commission, which started off with an action plan. Um, also there, it's FRAS findings, FRAS data, which has gone into that in cooperation with the um, communities um, of the LGBTI, with, with the LGBTI communities to make it policy relevant and to give an anchor for EU member states to make sure that the rights of those people are also protected. Yeah. Um, speaking about rights protection, one uh, recurring theme on our account since we started it has been reporting on the situation at the EU borders and at, uh, about rights breaches at the, at the borders and the, the situation that we are observing. To, pro to give a concrete number, this is something we re report often, but for those who have not seen the post, um, since 2014 alone, the International Organization of Migration, which is of course under the United Nations, has confirmed that over 25,000 uh, refugees have gone missing in the Mediterranean Sea trying to reach the EU borders. 
is the um, topic uh, present in the Fundamental Rights Agency? And if so, what is the, fras what is the position of the FRAS? I think one statement I have to, to make is that we are the Agency for Fundamental Rights. So we look at issues from a rights-based perspective. When it comes to missing people in the Mediterranean, there are a lot of emotions. And I mean, of course, privately speaking, um, it's, I think, whenever you read something like this in the media, it's very, very hard. And I, I can understand that there are comments, reports, which go into every single direction. I can only answer here from our perspective as a rights-based agency. We have for years, and even before 2015, when um, a great number of migrants came to the EU, I mean, it was frequently referred to as the migration crisis. But if I refer to it as a crisis, there has also been positive outcome for a number of migrants. And if you refer to it as a crisis, it already takes a very negative um, aspect from a linguistic perspective. So that's one part. We try to avoid using um, words which actually give a negative um, sentiment to the discourse. So that's one part. But coming back to what you said is, even before 2015, FRA has always been insisting that it would be important to have safe and legal pathways for people fleeing their country into Europe, into the EU. That, because we also know that not everybody who comes to the EU borders is a refugee or is an asylum seeker or has the right to seek asylum. And that, I think, is one thing we really need to be very clear about it. It doesn't mean that FRA doesn't look at those issues, but we look at it again, what needs to be done to actually allow those who are persecuted, who need to flee their country in order to make sure that they can seek asylum in safety, which is um, the Geneva Convention. So that's one point. Um, we have also reported um, on the non, on, on vessels in the Mediterranean from non-governmental organizations. And you can find on our website regular updates until uh, June this year of what has happened to those vessels. Were they allowed to get into um, harbors or not? Have they been stopped? But again, we take it from a rights-based perspective, which means that everybody at, at sea, at risk for their life, needs to be saved. So that's the basis of looking at it. And here, I think there is a difference between um, advocacy groups, advocacy non-governmental organizations, and an EU agency, which looks at the rights and then informs what has been breached here and what hasn't been breached. I also need to say that um, we have the Coast and Border Guard Agency, shortly called Frontex, of course, whose task it is um, to protect the EU's external borders. We do know that there are fundamental rights um, risks, 
That is, for example, just very practically, I mean, it's lying here. We issued a very tiny pocket guide for border guards at the border. What do they need to do to make sure that they actually respect fundamental rights of people who are at borders? This Border Controls and Fundamental Rights uh, little pocket guide is now disseminated to law enforcement in Croatia, to law enforcement in Finland. So this is how literally FRA looks at the issue and makes sure that the information on how to protect fundamental rights of those people who arrive at the EU borders is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. That's what we can do as an agency. I mean, of course, I know people will say, what does that mean? But we, it fits into a pocket mm -hmm. and we do know it has been disseminated. So we do know that there is part of our awareness raising among law enforcement, border guards does work and is acknowledged by the governments as well. As I said, um, we received requests from Finland, um, which is very recent because of the border situation with Russia uh, to have that border guide, pocket guide, and we have received the same request from Croatia. Yeah. Um, this is, of course, an issue then between also theory and praxis. I mean, having the information is one thing, executing and implementing it is, of course, sometimes uh, another. But here I need to insist, of we are not an executing agency. Yes, and I think that is something which frequently may lead to misunderstandings. Yeah, so what is FRA doing? Well, we don't have like Frontex an executing mandate. That mandate lies with Frontex. Yeah. Um, I know it's critically looked at, but it's another EU agency and it's part of the family of justice and home affairs agencies. Yeah. And now we also have the EU agency for asylum. Um, again, they're doing an awful lot in terms of training. They have online courses, they have webinars. So the the EU, even if it doesn't necessarily is perceived as such, is doing a lot to make sure that the human rights are protected um, and trying to raise awareness on how to do that best. Yeah. That this is not always perceived as being as such, I'm fully aware of that, yeah. but I can't comment. Um, Speaking about um, <laughs> what we've been talking about for the last hour now nearly, um, fundamental rights and fundamental rights breaches, because there are some that we can observe in a variety of areas, as we said. Is there any instrument from your perspective or from the FRAS perspective in general that would be necessary so that you can tackle them better, so that you can tackle um, more, more of those, uh, more of those topics that you can produce better data, etc. What is necessary? One part is, of course, giving the relevant importance to fundamental rights and human rights. They are everywhere. Everybody is aware of that, and at the same time, it's a real challenge to make sure that to secure those rights we also need to have the means to do so. Um, one means we've been talking about, as you said, is um, collecting data. And again, it's a very important task because lastly, it's the data which will influence different thinking about issues, sometimes highlighting issues which have never been highlighted beforehand. Um, I mean, the first 
survey we did on the experiences of discrimination and violence, again, uh, of LGBTI people was in 2012. That's just 10 years ago. And I think if you talk about it today so freely, that survey has in a way with the support, of course, also of the um, relatively of the EU legislator, of the European Commission, of policymakers, that has led that now we talk about it and we actually pinpoint it. It also has the adverse effect, as we know. Mm -hmm. There are also measures taken against LGBTI people in certain EU member states. We're aware of that. Um, that's one example. I mentioned one very early on, the, 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 the study we did on poverty of children in the EU, something nobody would have thought about. It has led to certain measures at the policy level. Um, yes, I mean, one issue is, a general issue is about resources, but we are also aware that resources are getting more and more constrained. That's also why I said very early on, um, we, we see that there is also a resource need for implementing and protecting human rights in the different areas because it's spread out so, so globally. Yeah. Um, before uh, we come to, to an end of this extremely interesting uh, conversation, I would of course like to ask you, what is the, the FRA currently working on? What is something that we can expect, something that you maybe want to share with the, the community? And of course, where they can find you, how to get access to, to the documents, to the reports that you're doing? Um, I mean, you, you can find us in the, in the um, internet under um, fra.europa.eu. Um, what is coming forward? I already mentioned something. So at the beginning of next year, we will have the findings um, on, on the experiences of people who fled the war in Ukraine, um, their experiences, and that will be positive and negative experiences. I mean, what I can say is from a relatively rough impression of it, out of that survey also comes that one of the barriers people faced is language. Because of course, when you try to step up and get integrated in a country, you need to speak the language. And that, that is, I mean, I'm not hiding here some, something, but of course, we will also show to which extent people were discriminated against, violence they have experienced, harassment, that's something which is coming forward. And FRA will continue its activities on the impact on fundamental rights beyond um, the borders of the Ukraine. It's not only in Ukraine itself. The fact that I think about nine million people have now come into the EU have been well received, as we know, also because for the first time in 20 years, the EU initiated the Temporary Protection Directive, for example, here as well. You can have a look at our website. We have an overview how each of the member states implemented the Temporary Protection Directive in their country, because there are differences. I mean, we don't have just one member state. We have um, 27 member states, and they deal with that differently. That's, for example, information FRA provides. Indeed, it's maybe very theoretical um, and legal, of course, because the directive is a legal instrument and we look at how was it done at member state level. But again, that then can be matched against the experiences of the people. And that is one part we will continue to do. 
And this is also a great part of our communication because in our findings, we have a lot of people's stories. And just to highlight, I think, follow our youth campaign, Our Data, Your Ally, which is one of the campaigns we started this year. And we will continue with the campaign next year just to illustrate um, what people in the EU experience. And here I'm not just referring to minority groups or to certain communities. That goes really across the population. Yeah. And of course, when there is new and interesting uh, reports, we will be um, talking about them as well because we are always very interested in what Fry is doing. Uh, one of those uh, things that is coming up, I, I know that, um, is also work on artificial intelligence and on bias in artificial intelligence. This is something that is a very interesting topic for me personally. I have a, a background in the intersection between politics and technology, so it's interesting to see. And um, we will be doing some work on that and other reports that are coming out will be shared by us too. So if you're uh, wondering where to find those things, don't worry because you will see them on our account. Of course. Yeah. And if you're interested, if you want to have a greater insight, the report will be launched on the 8th of December. Um, it's a public launch. It's not an event. We will launch it publicly. Um, but if you're interested in that subject matter, then have a look because our director already talked about it um, at the Web Summit in Lisbon just mm. not even a month ago, three weeks ago. And we have that talk online on our website, Automating Human Rights. And it's really interesting. And the report will be out in less than two weeks. Okay. Thank you so, so much for your time and for answering the community questions. Uh, for everyone who watched us up until this point, thank you so much for your interest. I hope that you stay connected with the Frost work. So feel free to follow them under their social media accounts. I will be linking everything in the bio. And if you think that this topic is interesting for somebody else, please feel free to share our interview. This, of course, helps us and it helps others to get a little bit of uh, more knowledge. As you heard, if there are further questions, there is a way to ask them. So make use of that. And other than that, have a fantastic day. Thank you very much again and talk to you soon. We never know. Maybe there is some follow up in the future. OK, thank you as well for the interview. With pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>